because we're continuing the series through the book of Mark called Who Do You Say I Am? And last week, Chris talked about the transfiguration. And so what we're going to read today is happening after that. But there's some other things that happen before then. We had the transfiguration. And then Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. And then Jesus casually, and I do mean casually, just kind of throws out that he's going to die to his disciples. He just kind of says, hey, guys, this is going to be what's going to happen. And we find ourselves here at Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And so this is what it says there. Um, Let me get to the right page. It says, they came to Capernaum. Uh, When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them, talking, taking him in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And so we see that Jesus, um, th- there's this interesting moment, right? So we, just in case we don't know, there were no cars back then. They had to walk everywhere which provides ample opportunity for conversation, which, prov- which then provides ample opportunity to disciple his disciples. So they're walking everywhere they're going, and this, this scene happens where Jesus knows what's going on, but doesn't let them know what's go- he knows what's going on, and they have this conversation about who is the greatest. Which is interesting, because when I look at this passage, I think, you're walking around with Jesus. What what kind of question is that for you to ask each other? Like, like you guys are arguing about, like, one of the two of you is actually, like, the greatest, except you're walking with him. But that's what it says. And it says that Jesus wasn't there for the conversation, but Jesus knows what's happening. And so, in an interesting sort of, like, reality way, reality check, they were actually arguing about who would be second at best, right? They couldn't be the greatest if they're walking around with Jesus. And so Jesus uses this opportunity. He uses this opportunity to flip the idea of greatness on its head. Because the same is true now as it was in the ancient world. That greatness, as the world would define it, equals power, equals wealth, maybe equals popularity, maybe equals prestige. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not, what, that, that's not what it means to be great in the kingdom. In God's kingdom, greatness is measured by weakness and faith and not power and success. In God's kingdom, greatness is measured by weakness and faith, not power and success. He brings a child into the group after he says what he says there. He says to them, if, uh, if anyone wants to be first, you're going to be last, and you're going to be a servant of all. And he says, actually, 
Here, I'm going to bring this child in here. And anyone who welcomes this child will be welcoming me. Later in other spots, Jesus talks about having a faith like a child. Well, one thing we don't know naturally when we just look at this text is that the ancient world did not really care about kids. They didn't. They were used to help get the crops. They were used to help the family business to the point that the Romans had a practice. If you did not like the gender of your child that was born, you just go take them out to a hill, you leave them, and you walk away. The ancient world did not care about kids. So when Jesus says, hey, look at this child, look at him, if you, if you welcome him, the least of these in my name, if you serve him even, you're starting to get it because he turns this whole thing upside down. And Jesus uses these moments throughout scripture. He uses these moments to disciple his disciples. We, we think about a disciple as being someone who follows Jesus, who's transformed by Jesus, and who's on mission for Jesus. And Jesus takes these moments to go, hey, what are you guys arguing about? Oh, you're arguing about who the greatest is? How about, how about we, we, we work that through? How about we talk about this? If I walked around saying I was the greatest, Lord willing, you guys would put me in my place. I know some of you would, hopefully. If not, okay, great. I'll be the greatest. <laughs> but I think you would put me in my place. And, that, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's sharp, iron sharpening iron. He's teaching them that in the kingdom of God, it doesn't work the same as the world. And we can't get that confused. We can't get that twisted. That in the kingdom of God, success is not measured in the same way. Greatness is not measured in the same way. Let's continue in Mark uh, chapter 9, verses 38 and following. He says, it says, Teacher, said John, who saw, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we, had, we, we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Verse 39, do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can, can in the next moment say anything bad about me for, whatever is not, for whoever is not against us is for us. And I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Jesus is helping his disciples. Again, he's, he's discipling them. He's teaching them how to have his eyes how to have his heart. Because they see somebody else casting out a demon. They're like, Jesus, we tried to tell that guy to stop. And he didn't. But somehow he was able to do what you do. But what? we told him not to. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. And then if anybody, listen, guys, if they, if they give you something, if someone gives you a cup of cold water, if somebody loves on you, if somebody offers you housing or whatever the case may be throughout your ministry, have my eyes and understand that even if they do not look great, they are great in the kingdom. Because the people who were following Jesus were not the elites. Many scholars and commentators say that Jesus ran a ministry for the poor because that's who followed him. Primarily because he starts saying stuff like this. That greatness doesn't look like the powerful, the rich, the honored. It looks like somebody who's a servant of all. 
It looks like somebody who's a slave. And what a challenge that would have been as it is today. So Mark continues in his gospel. He continues telling the story of Jesus. And we don't have time to get into this, but I hate taking just passages and just kind of skipping over them, but that's what we're about to do. So in in chapter 10, Jesus begins teaching. It sounds very much like the Sermon on the Mount, Um, very similar ideas there. He also then gets approached by a young man who says, Jesus, I've got it all figured out. I've kept all the commands. What else do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, go and give up everything. And that man walked away sad. We don't have time to dive into this. But again, Jesus flips this idea of greatness. This guy said, I checked all the boxes, Jesus. What else do I have to do? And Jesus says, well, how about now you check your heart? Check what you are in love with. And again, he walks away sad. But he continues on teaching this. And when he does that, the the disciples and the people just don't, don't know what to make of that. Because in that culture, if you were rich, you were blessed by God, thus you must be great. Again, Jesus flipping these narratives on their heads. And so we come to verse 32. Um, and it says this. It says, They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And his disciples were astonished while those who, were, who followed were afraid. Again, because of what had just happened with the rich young ruler. Again, he took the 12 aside and he told them, what was going to happen to him. We are going up from Jerusalem, he said, or we're going up to Jerusalem, he said. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and he will, and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So Jesus gives them this idea of what's about to happen to him, which they're clearly not going to be okay with, right? If we had a friend that we had spent three, three and a half years with, and they said, listen, I'm going to go die, and it's going to be pretty public, and it's going to hurt, it's going to be painful, we probably wouldn't be okay with that either. But Jesus is giving his guys a heads up as to, listen, we're going to Jerusalem, and this is what's going to happen. But the brilliance, the brilliance of Jesus is that they're going to Jerusalem to flip the power structure on its head. Remember, Jesus is going to be killed on a cross by the most powerful empire at the time. The cross would have been the symbol of their absolute power over life and death, and Jesus is going to flip that on its head when he rises, when he comes back to life from the dead because this power structure isn't what we think it is, because this worldly power structure just doesn't work. The greatness that we think and we find in these moments are not what the kingdom of God is all about. And so, he tells them all of these things. And this must have fell. Holy cow. Let's do this. That's better. And so he tells them this, right? So this, this is where this story, um, there's irony, there's humor to me, there's sadness, all of it combined. Because he, he continues on and it says in verse 35, then James and John 
the sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What? Um, 36, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let, us, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now let's just pause here for a second. Let us remember what Jesus had just told them. Jesus had just said to the disciples, hey guys, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. You know those people you don't like. I'm going to be handed over to them. They are going to mock me. They're going to beat me. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to be brought back to life. And the first thing after hearing that, the disciples, two of them in particular, decide to do is go, okay, good, great, heard all of that. Jesus, I, got, I need you to give me whatever I want. Wait, what? Like, are these guys for real? Jesus just laid out what is going to happen to him. And his disciples go, hey, Jesus, give us whatever we want. Like, they're worried about the seating chart in heaven, right? They're worried about what seat do they get to sit in in his glory, except that he just said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be embarrassed, I'm going to be humiliated, and that's all they cared about. It's amazing. Just shocking, really, when you think about it. I mean, because we would never do something like that, right? hate this passage because <laughs> I want to be all over them be like you bunch of idiots you're so stupid and then I'm like but I do that all the time Jesus give me what I want right now very like Willy Wonka on the chocolate factory I want it now but the disciples ask this question the two of them do and Jesus gives us <laughs> This great, I mean, this is why I'm not Jesus. Because had Jesus, had I been Jesus and that question got asked, I would have gone, gone and told those two to go stand in the corner and I will come talk to you later. That's <laughs> what I would have done. Like, are you kidding me right now? But what does Jesus do? He says, well, what is it you want? <laughs> How nice of him. How nice of him. And so then they go on and ask that they could be in these places of greatness, of these places of prestige, and these places of power. And this is Jesus' response in verse 38. He says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? <laughs> and then, because they don't know, verse 39, they say, we can. Yep, I can do that. I can do it. And Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus says, yeah, you can. And a little hint, you will actually, you will drink that cup and you will be baptized with that baptism. It's just going to be a ways down the road. Because from church history, we know that 
11 of the 12 disciples are killed by unnatural causes. So these disciples will actually drink this cup and they will be baptized with this baptism. It's just not right now. Because they're not ready. And not just because they're not ready, because Jesus has to go do what Jesus came to do. In verse 41, we see the rest of the story play out. It says, when the, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant <laughs> with James and John. Wait, hold on. We were allowed to pick a seat, right? <laughs> They're like, who are these jerks? <laughs> like, what are we doing? I didn't know that we were assigning seats in heaven, and I wanted that one. Um, I would have asked if I had known. But he says, they became indignant. And uh, 42, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus settles them down. He tells the other ten, hey, just relax. They don't know what they're doing. And he says, let me tell you what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. And he says this, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. If you want to be first, you must be a slave of all. But hold on, Jesus. Like, that doesn't make me great. That doesn't help my bank account. That doesn't help my standing with people. That doesn't help my power. That doesn't help my success. What do you mean that's how I get great? It's a question I think we wrestle with or we should, regularly. Because this is what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus even said this, and this is just uh, help us remember that this is consistent throughout Jesus' ministry. In Matthew chapter 16, he says this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, there should have been no um, misunderstanding as to what was going to happen. They were going to serve. They were going to love. They were going to be slaves of all because that's where Jesus ends up. He ends up as a, with a humble, humiliating, painful act on the cross because he even says it here. He says, the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our power, our prestige, and greatness only comes from embracing humility and weakness, as Jesus did. It's the only way. And I wrestle with weakness quite a bit. Because weakness means I don't have it all figured out. 
Weakness means I'm not in control. Weakness means I have to depend on somebody else for something. I don't want to be that way. But it's actually what I'm called to. When I was growing up, uh, I learned this, and I don't know if somebody else said it, so I would give authorship if I knew, um, but it's something uh, I find myself saying a lot these days, and that is, the only good weakness is the one that I've overcome so I could put it down on my resume as a strength. Because oftentimes we let this world tell us that weakness is bad. Yet, Jesus embraces weakness. Paul embraces his weakness. The disciples embrace their weakness because this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I lean into not trying to be great by the world standards, but trying to be great by Jesus' standards, I lean into my weakness so that Jesus can look at me, can mold me, can shape me, can put me back together the way he needs me so that I can be great in his kingdom. When I don't embrace my weakness, I think I got it all figured out. I try to fix all of that. I try to be strong on my own merits, and that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. Josh and the worship team can come on up right now. We're gonna, here's, how, here's, how, here's where we're left with. There's just this challenge for us to just embody this week, uh, to wrestle with, to pray through, and it's this. Are you going to put yourself second and others first? This is what Jesus did on the cross. This is what Jesus did throughout his whole life. This is what Jesus calls us to when he said the first will be last and the last will be first. If you want to be great, be a servant of all. So what does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you some baby steps, just little things. If, you, if when I said that, it didn't trigger something in your brain right away, let me help you. To serve others, put them first. Maybe this week you can let somebody else be right. Even if they're not, just let them be right. Don't look at the person next to you and say, hey, you're right. Particularly if you're married. <laughs> but, like, maybe... Instead of arguing, we just go, hey, it's not, I mean, is it the end of the world? No, probably not. I'm going to serve you. You don't say this, right? But in your mind, you just go, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to serve this person. And I don't need to argue about it. We can just move on. Or maybe you give someone some time and you listen to what's going on in their lives even when you don't want to. Even when you don't want to. Or maybe you offer forgiveness for something you've been holding on to. Maybe you take care of someone's physical needs. Maybe you know a couple or someone who needs a night out and you offer babysitting, even if you think those kids are terrible. I'm going to take away all your excuses. Or maybe you can take me out to lunch. Kidding. Um, teasing. Or maybe a very simple, basic 
basic act would be this. How about you pray for somebody this week? And not just the, I'm going to pray for you, which means I had good intentions of doing it, but I didn't get around to it because it's easier to have good intentions than actually do it. When we pray for other people, we are embodying what Jesus is calling us to do. Why? Because if I'm praying for you, I can't be praying for me. If I'm putting you before me in my conversation with the Father, how easy. What an easy step for us to start putting ourselves second and other people first. So right now, we're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to worship. And if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to pray, I'm going to be over here. Uh, one of our elders will be over on that direction. Um, but the challenge for us this week is let's, let's put ourselves second. Let's put other people first and start being the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's stand together. Let's sing.